0: Thank you for joining us on the Sermon Podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word.
1: If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me into the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 20. verse 16 verses. The title of the sermon this morning is, It's Not Fair. It's Not Fair. And... I think we'll see why after we read the text. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. And then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said you also go into my vineyard he told them when evening came the owner of the vineyard told his foreman call the workers and give them their pay starting with the first and in, or starting with the last and ending with the first when those who were hired about 5 came they each received one denarius so when the first ones came they assumed they would get more but they also received a denarius each when they received it they began to complain to the landowner these last men who put in 1 hour You made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. He sends the reading of God's Word, the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your Word and we are your people. Lord, if there is any good, if there is any blessing, if there is any life that can be gleaned from the message this morning, it's only because this is your Word. It's not because of me, but it's because of you. And Lord, I submit myself to you this morning. I submit my lips, my tongue. My thoughts, my heart, I submit myself to you this morning, and so I pray you would speak to us from your word. I ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen. There's a story that's told about Fiorello LaGuardia, who when he was mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II, he was called by adoring New Yorkers, the little flower, because he was only five foot four and he always wore a carnation on his lapel. And he was a colorful character. He used to ride the New York City fire trucks. And and he would raid the speakeasies with the police department. He would take entire orphanages to baseball games. And whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. One bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. And LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. When was the last time you heard of a mayor doing that? (laughs) Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, the man told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. And LaGuardia sighed, and he turned to the woman and he said, I've I've got to punish you. He says, the law makes no exceptions, so I've got to punish you. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket, and he extracted a bill. And he tossed it into his famous sombrero, saying, Here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So the following day, the the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, fifty cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner, while some seventy petty criminals with traffic violations and New York City policemen, each of whom who had just paid fifty cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. In our parable this morning, we have a similar situation. A landowner shows grace, and his employees respond to that grace with anger. But why? All the workers received the same payment that they all agreed to work for. Nobody was cheated out of anything that they were promised, and yet some were angry and bitter because other people were blessed. And as we look at our passage, we're going to look at the context of the parable. We're going to look at the content of the parable and the communication of the parable. The context, the content, and the communication. To really understand this, it's helpful to look back, starting with the context, it's it's helpful to look back at what happened right before Matthew 20. At the end of Matthew 19, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus wanting to know what good thing he can do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him that he has to keep the law. He even names off the commandments. He says, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father, your mother, And love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, well, oh yeah, I've done all of these from my youth up. And Jesus says, all right then, then I guess you'll have no problem giving up all that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the young ruler wasn't too happy about that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he went away sad. And Jesus, being the good rabbi that he is, he uses this as a teaching moment. Listen to what Matthew 19, 23, and 26 says. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now if you're in the audience while Jesus is saying this, now might be a good time to quietly reflect on what's being said. But Peter, being the boisterous character that he is, he's just got to say something. So look at what Peter says in verse 27. He says, see we have left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? Peter says, in, 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 in all effects, Peter is saying, well, if being rich and having stuff keeps you from getting into heaven, look at how good and righteous we are. Because we've, we've let good and kindreds freely go so that we can follow you. There must be a great reward in store for us, because if the rich, if, if, if it's hard for them to get into the kingdom of heaven, then it must be pretty easy for us poor folk that was peter's thinking. and so what that tells us is that you don't have to be rich to be self-righteous. you don't have to be of any prestige to be self-righteous. you don't have to be in a place of privilege or power to be self-righteous. all you have to do is think that you're owed something based on your performance. i'll say that again. you don't have to be poor to be self you don't have to be rich to be self-righteous. all you have to do is think that you're owed something based on your performance. It doesn't matter what it is you think you're owed. Entitlement is entitlement is entitlement. The rich young ruler thinks that he can follow Jesus based on the fact that he's followed the commandments. But the fact that he can't part with his stuff means that he can't even follow the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so what was his God? It was his stuff. It was his stuff. And so that's the context that Jesus is speaking into. The context that Jesus is speaking into is a context where there's a rich young ruler who can't part with his stuff, and then there's a self-righteous poor man who's a disciple, Peter, who thinks that he's owed something based on the fact that he's poor and he's given up everything. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And so how does it work? To help us see what's going on here, to help us see the content of the parable, we're going to look at it scene by scene. So look at the first scene in verses 1 through 7, how the landowner hires workers. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into the vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. And so off they went. And about noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. And then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said, well, you also go into my vineyard. So an average workday is about 12 hours, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This was the culture. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is your working hours. And if you're going to hire workers, you need to get out there early, and and you need to hire however many workers you think you need, and then get to work. And in exchange for the day's labor, you get a day's wages, which was about a denarius. In today's market, a denarius would probably be just above minimum wage. So let's just say that minimum wage is $8.50 an hour. A denarius might be along the lines of $10, maybe $10.25 an hour. So minimum wage is up let's see, in Arkansas I think minimum wage is eleven dollars even an hour. So a denarius would probably be about twelve fifty, thirteen dollars an hour. You're not rolling in dough, but you're also not doing too bad either. It's definitely enough to hold you over until you find work the next day. Now, that's what's promised to the workers who work for a full day from sunup to sundown. But when the landowner goes back to hire more workers later in the day, he, he just tells them, he says, I'll give you whatever's right. And that seems to be enough to satisfy them. Contracts have been signed. Agreements have been made. Everyone is trusting everyone else to hold up their end of the deal. The workers agree to work. The landowner agrees to pay them what is fair. They're trusting that he has an ethical idea of what a fair wage is. Now before we talk about the workers getting paid, we have to talk about how we view the world because that's going to help us understand why the workers respond the way they do. As we live our lives, we don't just experience life, we interpret life. I'll say that again, as we live, we don't just experience life, we interpret life. You see all this all you see this all the time in little kids, whenever something they don't like happens, what's that three word phrase that kids like to say whenever they don't get their way? That's not fair. That's not fair. If my wife got a dollar every time she heard a child say, that's not fair, when she taught pre-K, we would be millionaires. What's happening is that when a child says that, they're interpreting the world. They're interpreting the events of their life based on what they believe to be fairness. You can't have dessert until you finish your vegetables. That's not fair. You can't go anywhere until you clean your room. That's not fair. Another kid has a toy they want to play with. That's not fair. You won't buy them a new toy at Walmart. That's not fair. You don't hardly ever see a child say, you know what, I'm lucky to have the toys I have. I don't think I need any new ones. Right? Children are interpreting the world based on what they think they deserve and they're calling it fairness. And we do the same thing. We're not exempt just because we're grown-ups. The pastor forgot to shake my hand. That's not fair. I didn't like the sermon. That's not fair. I didn't like worship today. That's not fair. I don't like this contemporary music. That's not fair. I don't like all those old songs. That's not fair. I didn't know most of those hymns. That's not fair. Or maybe our problem isn't with church. Maybe our problem is with work. I didn't get the raise or promotion that I deserve. That's not fair. I had a bad day at work. That's not fair. When you get up in the morning and you think about your life and you think about all the things you have and think, I don't deserve this, you mean it one of two ways. You might think about the blessings you have and how good God has been and you think, man, I don't deserve this. Or you think about your own personal achievements, your own pride, your own self-righteousness, and you think, I don't deserve this, I deserve better. Whenever you say, I don't deserve this, you can mean it one of two ways. One is very positive, and the other is very negative. To borrow an illustration from Kevin DeYoung, I put on these glasses that I put on every morning because I need them to see the world. And we all put on some kind of glasses in order to see the world. We interpret most of the events in our life in one of two ways. We either put on glasses of fairness or glasses of grace. We can either say, I don't deserve this, or we can say, man, I don't deserve this. And so now look at at how the workers are paid in verses 8 through 10 in Matthew 20. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. So first they were paid, beginning with the last group of people who were hired and ending with the first group of people who were hired. And this illustrates what Jesus says back at Matthew 19.30, just before the parable begins. He says, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Second, notice that they're all paid the same wage. The landowner goes out at the beginning of the day and says, come work for me, I'll give you a denarius. And then later in the day, he hires more workers and says, come work for me, I'll give you what's right. And he ends up giving everyone a denarius. He ends up giving everyone a day's wage. In the end, everyone gets what they're promised. And you would think that everyone would go home happy, but they don't. Which brings us to the, to the third scene, the workers complain. Look at verses 11 and 12. When they received it, they begin to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work in the burning heat. Notice how they're accusing the landowner. Accusations are always you statements. Always remember that. Accusations are always you statements. They say, you made them equal to us. That's the problem. That's what's really bothering them. They don't want to believe that they are in any way equal with the people who showed up late. They haven't worked like we have. They didn't earn all the things that we earned. And you know what? That's really the heart of the issue with a lot of Jesus' parables. Think about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. A Pharisee and a tax collector both go up to pray, and when the Pharisee prays, What's the first words out of his mouth? He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, even like this tax collector. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not equal with other people. I'm better. Do you see how their attitude is a lot like that of this Pharisee? That's the issue. These workers, even though they got what they were promised, they don't want to be made equal with some person who wasn't good enough to get hired until later in the day. Look at those bums. They couldn't find a job until 5 p.m. and now they're getting the same pay as us? This is ridiculous. And so this, this creates, this creates a, an almost classist viewpoint in people's minds. Well, we, we talked briefly about it in Sunday school this morning. People thinking that where they sit in church is sacred. Right? Well, why should they get my seat? I've been coming here for 20 years. Why should we do things differently? We've been doing it the same way for 30 years. Why should we change anything? And it, and it all has to do with how you view yourself, it all has to do with how you view other people. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul. Let me just flip over there real quick. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is dealing with this issue, and here's what he says. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, look what he says right before that. In Philippians 2.4, he says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather look after the interests of others. And so what Paul is saying is, take, take yourself, put yourself second. Put yourself last if you have to. Put others above yourself. Look to the interests of others. What is best for other people? What is good for other people? And so Dallas Willard, great Christian philosopher, theologian, he said that the definition of love, the definition of love is to to will the good of other people. Will what is genuinely good for other people. And so the question for us is, do we do that? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter tells us to crave the spiritual milk of God's word. But in order to do that, in order to crave the spiritual milk of God's word, there's certain things we have to lay aside. Look at 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. You can see envy at work here in the hearts of all those who were working from the very beginning of the day. They're not envying the other workers because they got something that they didn't. They're envying the workers because the workers who came later got something that they didn't deserve. I was reading... 1 Corinthians chapter 3 a while back, and Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you are still worldly, for there is envy and strife among you. So what's Paul saying? Paul tells the church at Corinth, you've got a maturity problem. And because you've got a maturity problem, there's conversations that need to take place that can't take place because you're not ready. You need to grow up. The root of their maturity problem is the fact that there is envy in their hearts. And so let's bring it back to the parable in Matthew 20. There's envy and there's strife on the part of the workers who are just shocked that someone who worked less than they did would get the same amount of pay. And so look at the fourth scene where the workers are corrected in verses 13 through 16. We look at what Jesus said, or we look at what, what, the, what the supervisor said to them. He asked them three questions. And these questions reveal a lot about what's going on in their hearts Look at verses 13 to 16. He replied to one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? That's question one. Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? That's question two. Are you jealous because I am generous? That's question three. So the last will be first and the first last. So notice that those three questions, didn't you agree with me on a denarius, don't I have the right to do do what I want with what is mine, and are you jealous because I am generous? First of all, it would have been culturally rude for employees to speak to their employer in such a way that these workers talk to this landowner. As a matter of fact, they don't even greet him with the proper title. The Cultural Background Study Bible tells us that rarely would subordinates in antiquity speak so rudely to a landowner from whom they might hope for future employment or favors. (coughs) Although by their culture standards the landowner is socially superior, they fail to greet him with a title. They would have probably referred to him as as something generic like uh, lord or master, something like that, since he is a landowner and they are his employees. So if it's so rude and if it's so unseemly for an employee in this time period to talk to their employer in such a way, how much more inappropriate is it for us to have this attitude in our hearts when God blesses other people around us? It's something we need to think about. But in the first question, the landowner reminds the employees of their agreement. He says, didn't we agree that this is the price that you would be paid? In the second question, the landowner reminds the workers that it's his money. He can do with it what he wants. And in a way, he's reminding them of the sovereignty that he has over his own goods. James chapter 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in James 1.17. So that means that God can do whatever he wants with his own good gifts. And in the third question, this is the one I want us to focus on. The landowner gets to the heart of the issue. He says, are you jealous because I am generous? What did we say the problem was earlier? It's envy. What's really interesting is that, what's really interesting about this question is that if you look at it in other Bible translations, like in King James or the New King James, in more word for word translations, then you'll get almost a different reading. For example, in the New King James, the question isn't, are you jealous because I'm generous? The question is actually, is your eye evil because I am good? And the reason it's worded this way is because in ancient times, when someone had an evil eye, it meant that they were bitter, jealous, or angry about something. And often it was believed that when someone was staring at you with an evil eye, it was because they were placing a curse on you. I'm sure many preachers have seen the evil eye when they started stepping on people's toes. <laughs> And so when we understand this, it sheds some light on what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22-23. through 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What's really going on is that these workers who are complaining... These, these workers who are complaining because someone else is, is freely getting as much as they are. They're actually revealing how dark their hearts are. They're complaining because someone got the same amount as they did and they didn't work as hard. Well, what's it to them? It's not their money. But here's the issue, when we are envious, when we are jealous, when we are bitter to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we reveal the darkness within our own souls. And it's for this reason that Jesus reminds us in verse 16 that the first will be last and the last will be first. Finally, we come to the communication of the parable. We've seen the context and we've seen the content. Now let's look at the communication. What are we supposed to see out of this? theologian and commentator by the name of Klein Snodgrass. What a name, Klein Snodgrass. He helps us out here. <laughs> in his book over the parables, Stories with Intent, he tells us that key in interpreting the parable is the idea that those hired first thought they would receive more. The parable breaks any chain of logic connecting reward, work, and human perceptions of what is right. I'll, I'll say that that part again. I'll say that line again. This parable breaks any chain of logic connecting reward, work, and human perceptions of what is right. God's judging is not regulated by human perceptions of justice, and lurking behind that statement is a whole theology of mercy. It's God's mercy. Why are we angry when he gives it to others? Do we ever get angry when someone has something good they don't deserve? We shouldn't. We shouldn't because we are sharing something that we don't deserve. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, then you share in the righteousness of Christ as a free gift that you did not in any way earn. Stop worrying about whether you're first or you're last and just be thankful you're in line to begin with. I'll say that again. Stop worrying about whether you're first or last and just be thankful you're in line to begin with. And so what we see is that Jesus, what Jesus does is he lays to waste all of our human perceptions of justice and mercy. And he shows us that we have a limited viewpoint. We have a limited viewpoint over these concepts. These It's God's mercy, it's God's goodness, it's God's blessing. He can do with his good gifts what he wants. We are not the arbiter of the blessings of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for calling us to work in your vineyard. And Lord, you see the areas of our lives where we hide our jealousy and bitterness against those that are co-laborers in the field with us. And we ask you to forgive us and break that area of our hearts or those issues are hiding so that they can be exposed in the light of your goodness. Lord, there may be someone here who have, who's not yet been called to work in your vineyard, and if that's the case, we ask that you would draw them to yourself by the power of your Spirit. Father, we ask that you would cause them to repent and believe the gospel so that they would draw near from the well of your salvation. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
0: for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.